Cardini's Media. After Brentford bested Swansea and Fulham soar off Cardiff, we're set for a derby date in the Championship playoff final. Elsewhere, it seems Birmingham's blue season is going to result in them getting Karanki. It looks like there's a cookout at Wigan and Borough confirmed that Neil Warnock's latest reanimation will last at least another season. Hashtag welcome Bournemouth. This is the Totally Football League show. Hi there, listener. Matt Davis-Adams talking at you later in the week than we would usually convene. Uh, It's a playoff thing. I've got my two punditry pals dialed in for some red hot slash lukewarm EFL chat. Sam Parkin used to buy supermarket clothes whilst an EFL footballer. Now he makes TV pundit money, so he's man at Debenhams. Good morning, Sam. Morning, Matt. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Uh, with Sam, often duplicated, never replicated, one of the most popular names on LinkedIn. It's the former Arsenal Southend and more winger, Adrian Clark. Hello, Adrian. Hello. Right then, on with the show. First stop, metaphorically, Wembley. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. So the Championship playoff final will be an all-West London affair, apart from the fact that it's being played in North London. Uh, The teams who finished third and fourth in the regular season made it through to the richest game in football. It's a convoluted way of saying Brentford are playing Fulham. This after Brentford bid farewell to Griffin Park in fitting fashion, overturning a 1-0 first leg deficit to Swansea in the return, eventually winning 3-2 on aggregate. Fulham, meanwhile, got half the job done in the first leg, winning 2-0 at the Cardiff City Stadium. That meant a 2-1 defeat to the Bluebirds by the Banks of the Thames on Thursday wasn't enough to prevent Parker's pals from returning to Wembley for the second time in three seasons. We'll look ahead to the final later, but first let's reflect on the semis, starting with the Battle of the Winged Animals. Some David Rea, who did really well in the first leg at Liberty Stadium, claiming crosses, does the same again there. This is Jensen, through to Ollie Watkins, he's onside! It's Ollie Watkins! Adrian, did the right team go through here based on these two matches? For sure, yeah. Brentford bounced back really, really well, particularly in the second leg, of course. I thought they played okay in, in the match down in, in South Wales. Obviously, were very unfortunate with the, with the red card for Rico Henry. That, that was incredibly harsh. And and, and they'd, they'd have been delighted, I think, to come away with just the 1-0 defeat on the back of that. With him back in the side, it, it, I just love the attitude of Brentford in the second match. They, they tore at Swansea right from the off. Ollie Watkins produced one of the, one of the best centre-forward displays I've seen this season. His movement, his, his dynamism was incredible. And all over the pitch, very, very impressive. I, th- I thought in central midfield, Norgard put in a, an understatedly excellent performance, sort of nullified um, what Swansea had in that attacking midfield region. Yeah, it, it, was, it was tremendous from them in the second leg. And... And I think that they they have to start as favourites now based on what we saw in the other semi-final. Sam, we've got to be hugely impressed, not just with the Brentford players, but with Thomas Frank and his his coaching staff too, to to have turned around their mentality and produce a performance like they did midweek after their their stuttering end to the season. Really impressive. Yeah, definitely. And um, would have been left with egg on their faces after Thomas Frank was so bullish after the first game, convinced they would win at Griffin Park in the, the final game there. From the first whistle, really, I thought they were they were excellent in all departments. And um, I felt going into the second leg, having seen the game at, at Swansea, I thought Steve Cooper was very bold in his selection. Left three on three for a number of times in that game and Watkins so often nearly got in behind Cabango. So 
I didn't think knowing Swansea as we do and having watched them this season that they would have the capacity to go and close the game down. I thought it would be an open affair. But that said, it's all about that first goal. And um, they kind of parted like the Red Sea. Um, for Watkins' goal, I thought it was quite nice. His quote after the game that Grimes was shouting at him, trying to put him off when he was one-on-one. Obviously, those two go back to Exeter. So I think they missed that on Sky because that was a, a nice little moment that Matt Grimes was doing everything in his power to put um, <laughs> Watkins off. So great finish. And um, yeah, I think Grimes and Gurhey for the two goals just didn't take responsibility, just switched off a tad and obviously gave themselves a little bit of a mountain to climb Swansea. And in truth, it shouldn't have been that close. I thought it was a, a top performance from Brentford. And if it hadn't been for a, a really bad mistake from, from Janssen, they would have cruised into the final. Yeah, I think there's an argument to suggest that he maybe picked the wrong team. I mean, to change um, one of the three centre-backs was was a risky move, wasn't it, Sam? I mean, Carl yeah. Norton coming in for Cabango, who didn't deserve to be left out. I just wonder whether that disruption might might have played a part because Cabango seems more of a natural centre-half in a three than Carl Norton, in my opinion. And, and Van der Horn looked all at sea, didn't he, um, trying, to, trying to contain Ollie Watkins. Where next then, Clarkie, do you think for, for Swansea? Because they... They got into the playoffs late on, so it's not like it's a crushing disappointment as it would have been for Brentford, who'd been in contention for for automatics. I I guess maybe key for them, A, shaking this off, but also trying to get some of these lone stars back for next season if they can. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's the the two key players, really, Conor Gallagher and Rian Brewster, don't, don't belong to them, do they? So, so that is that is an issue. They definitely need to fill those spots adequately. We saw at Derby last season, didn't we, with with Mount and and uh, Harry Wilson, sensational, weren't they? And, and I don't think Derby really replaced. Obviously, Rooney came in and made made quite some difference, but but it wasn't wasn't the same. And um, yes, yeah, Swansea have got to be excellent again in their recruitment. And you would imagine that Steve Cooper would be. He's got terrific reputation with young players. Uh, loads and loads of good contacts in the game, so I'm sure I'm sure they're bringing the right types. It's not a lot wrong with Swansea. I, I really like the direction that they're going in. Cooper, Mike Marsh, Mark, Martin Margotson. It's a, it's a really strong backroom team. Just just need to um, to maybe come up with a plan B tactically. Sam alluded to it there. Sometimes you need to adapt your style to the opposition, particularly if they're a little bit better than you in certain areas. And, and Swansea were bold. They, they played their way and it almost got them there. But, but ultimately, um, they were too open. We should give Steve Cooper some praise, Sam, as well, shouldn't we? First season in management of a club side. Obviously, Swansea lost Graham Potter after a season in charge last year. And, and you feel like people might start to be looking at Steve Cooper, certainly in the next year or two. Yeah, I've enjoyed the way they've they've played. We loved Graham Potter last year, and it's not been a complete. It's not been completely similar this year. He's had his own ideas, but no, they've they've played some really good football. Obviously, you, you've spoken there a little bit about the young loan players, and it's going to be essential they can get more quality in. I would be surprised if I use their next season. I thought he was excellent in the first leg, but just didn't have the same impact at Griffin Park. And yeah, despite the goal, I'd, I'd say the same about Brewster and Gallagher only really got going when he played deeper in the second half. Well, he actually ran the game uh, from a Swansea perspective in the second half. So maybe that was something that Steve Cooper will regret not having the 
um, tenacity, the drive of Conor Gallagher to just maybe give them a little bit more assurance in the middle of the pitch. But yeah, in, in terms of what they've achieved, I think it's an outstanding uh, achievement getting in the playoffs and um, yeah, they can hold their heads high, certainly going into the summer. We'll be chatting about Swansea again next season. To talk more Brentford and to wave goodbye to Griffin Park, we're joined now by top comic and lifelong Bees fan, Nathan Caton. Nathan, first off, where did you watch the game on Wednesday? Well, actually, you know what's weird? I was actually at a gig, so I watched it kind of, let's say, backstage. It was just the other side of a glass door, where, and I had my phone. So while the compere was on doing this thing, I was in the back. All, basically, if the audience were looking past the compere, they could have seen me in the background going, get them, get them, as, as the first two goals went in. And then the second half, maybe I missed the third, the third goal. I was in my car on the motorway, bombing it back home. And then I caught the end, like the last 20 minutes, from just, just after Swansea scored, just before Swansea scored. Um, so yeah, it was in between gigs, basically. And how were you feeling before the second leg? Because it, it, the season had kind of finished on a bit of a downer, really, hadn't it? With the form tailing off and no automatic. Were you confident? Um, I, yeah, I was, I was confident in the players. Um, I mean, to be honest, I wasn't totally surprised about you know, losing against Stoke and Barnsley because that's what Brentford do. I mean, we, they kind of tease us and put us through all the emotions. And also, it's 2020. Okay, Brentford and 2020 is not a good combination. Uh, anything random is going to happen. But I was confident because after the first leg of that awful decision from Keith Stroud, uh, I kind of thought the players would respond and play angry. And from the reaction of Thomas Frankis for a post-game press conference, he like, he seemed like he was fired up and I thought the players would react. And they did. I mean, within the first 15 minutes to be tuning up, I was like, all right, cool. You guys got fire in your backsides. <laughs> oh, plenty of fire in that performance. I thought I thought it was absolutely outstanding. Really showed showed their quality. The forwards were, were all in terrific form. If you had to pick out one player, one one favourite potentially from the season as a whole, I know. Um, but that, that you think is one hundred percent ready to to star in the Premier League? Should you, should you make it there? Who would you pick out? Uh, that's okay. So basically, who's my player of the season? Basically, I've had this conversation with my brother over the over the season, and it's I'm in, torn in between two at the moment. I'm the obvious one is Ollie Watkins because he's getting twenty five goals. But for me personally, Christian Norgard in midfield is absolutely mint. I mean, he came into our squad, and before Norgard, we had uh, Makojo who's playing that holding midfielder. And I was like, well, why have you brought Norgard? We've got Makoja there. And then I saw Norgard play. I was like, oh, that's why. Okay. Which, I mean, it says a lot with Makoja can't get inside now because Christian Norgard, he's just, yeah, he's class. He just kind of keeps everything calm in front of the back four, sprays it to the forward players, and keeps it all ticking. Nathan, obviously, the last game at Griffin Park, me, me and Adrian. Uh... Played there on a number of occasions. I can't remember too many good games. I can think of a, I can think of a good night out when I took all the Swindon lads to the Hammersmith Palais afterwards. But um, I haven't got too many fond memories of scoring goals there. What's you the, go to the pub? <laughs> yeah, one of the four. Um, what's the standout game or, or moment for you as as being a spectator at the the old lady? I think it's been referred to on a few Ooh, occasions this week. Standout moment. Um, probably getting promotion to the championship. Uh, we beat Preston 1-0 I think it was Good Friday it was, it was, it was a great game it was, I think it was an Alan Judge penalty that won it for us but it was that seal promotion that for me was like because 
the championship was always the promised land for us. So it's kind of surreal now that we're talking about the Premier League. But yeah, that that moment in time just felt like, ah, oh, we've made it. We've, we've achieved our goal. So for, that, for me, not necessarily, not necessarily the game, but just what it meant. Obviously, really disappointing not to have been able to get, say, a, a proper goodbye to Griffin Park. But I guess yeah. the flip side of that is, if you're going to pick one game to be the last game there, it would be one that gets you to Wembley in the playoff final. So not all bad. It's it's not. I mean, it's kind of bittersweet. It's like, yeah, yeah, great ending. You know, last game at Griffin Park, off to the playoff final to, to hopefully beat our rivals, get to the Premier League. But then it's like, well, great, but we can't be there. You know, it's like it's an it's a, the ultimate tease for football fans. Like you get to, you got all this great stuff going on, and yet we have to stand back afar and kind of watch it. Like, oh, okay, it, it looks amazing. If only I could be there. And on the final, how big is the rivalry between Brentford and Fulham? I mean, to neutrals, it's not one that's kind of spoken about about that much. I, I understand that um, there's a song that you particularly enjoy about Brentford being promoted and Fulham getting relegated. Bees oh, up, Fulham down. Bees up, Fulham down. Yeah, that's the song we used <laughs> to all the time. Even when they haven't been relegated, we're in the same league, but still sing it to me. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a rivalry. I mean, it's not the most intense because, let's be honest, it's like Brentford and Fulham are... Even though we don't get on, it's a very uh, polite middle-class rivalry. You know what I mean? You know, like Middlewall and West Ham's proper rugged, you know, like Rangers and Celtic. But Brentford and Fulham, it's more like, yeah, well, my house is worth more than yours. So take that, you know, that kind of thing, you know? But yeah, there's, there's definitely a rivalry there. Us, Fulham and QPR, we, we just do that, that trilogy of hate. And, and you're, you're just a little bit cooler, aren't you? You just have to look at the two gaffers. You've got Thomas Frank, laid back. I mean, in terms of attire... He couldn't be more cash, could he? Really. Yeah, and then you've got what? Scott Parker with a pin tie. Looks <laughs> <laughs> it, this, it'll be sweet to put one over them. A, a team that's probably looked down on you guys, I guess, for, for most of your lifetime, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with, with that, that little, little, little Brentford, Tin Pot Club or QPR call us a, a bus stop in Hounslow. Yeah, well, we're a bus stop in Hounslow. Let's go into the Premier League now. So, you know, yeah, take that. <laughs> Nathan, um, I got slaughtered on this country by Kerry and Curtin about my uh, declining career after I left Swindon. Is there a Brentford player that is the butt of your jokes during your material? Are you far too loyal for that? Um, do, 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 do. Or a player uh, elsewhere? A play, no, okay, I used to make jokes about um, ex-Brentford players. Now the reserve, B team, B team reserve coach, uh, Sam Saunders, because... Uh, no, we get on quite well, and because he's he's a, you know, a a smaller man, he's a small, well, petite man, shall we say? I I did um did like a end of season Brentford do one year, and I did some jokes about him saying how I kind of resembled a child, and yeah, it was it was fine. It was, it was all good natured, you know. <laughs> like I think Brentford uh, once they tweeted out something, who's the uh, the tallest player to ever play for Brentford? And this is a joke. I uh, I tweeted Sam Saunders, and he replied, "Going, oh, watch it." So yeah, just, just have a little laugh with him. He's cool. Um, but I mean, at the moment, I, I wouldn't. It's kind of hard to make fun of the Brentford squad this season. Oh, look at you and your success. You know, <laughs> how do you make fun of that? Um, you mentioned gigs, Nathan. Before we let you go, just plug a couple of your upcoming shows because because I know that it's been a tough old time for for stand ups as it has been for everybody these past few months. Yeah, man. Uh, it's been the last four months at, at home in lockdown with my girlfriend. Yay! Um, so gigs have got coming up. Um, so this weekend I will be at I'll be in Cheltenham for a what's what's called New Normal Festival. That's what it's called. 
in the, on the 14th, I'm doing um, a driving comedy gig where people drive in their cars and instead of laughing, they toot their horns if what well, they find this funny. And if they don't find it funny, they'll just reverse and leave. So yeah, I'm doing that. But I mean, all my gigs, it's all on my, on my social media stuff, uh, Nathan.Katon on Instagram, Nathan.Katon on Twitter, and on my website, NathanKaton.com. But yeah, the gigs are starting to come in again. So no doubt I'll be, I'll be around. Cool. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us. And, and we hope that you're laughing at Fulham um, come next week. <laughs> me too, man. Me too. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Nathan Caton there. Find him on Twitter at Nathan Caton. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. Listen to it totally ad-free on The Athletic. It's Cabano! He is thinking outside the box again. So in the second semi, it was Fulham who squeezed through 3-2 on aggregate. Naiskin's Cabano, the difference maker with two goals over the tie. Uh, Sam, how impressed have we been with, with Scott Parker these past few weeks? He's, he's come in for some stick on this show this season, but uh, he seems to have struck upon the right formula at just the right time. Yeah, uh, impressed. Um, made it to the final. Great achievement in, in his first year. I thought that the games towards the tail end of uh, the regular season, I saw, saw some real improvements. I think a lot of it is down to a couple of individuals, one you've already mentioned, who have stepped up and really given them a, a different dimension. Uh, Cabano has just been really exciting on the on the left-hand side. And Josh Onema, um, his ability to get forward, to get beyond the striker, to be positive with his first touch, get on the half turn. I, I just think you, you have to commend those individuals. But Scott Parker, we know defensively, he knows how to set a team up and we saw that in evidence again last night against the Cardiff side who did brilliantly. I think that's the first thing we have to say. That was an outstanding effort from Neil Harris and his side and speaking to a couple of the, the chaps who cover the Cardiff and Swansea games for the Welsh BBC, we just scratching our heads after the first leg as how Cardiff were going to go about that. Do they go 3-5-2? Do they bombard them with the long throws and, and go direct from the first whistle? We have to give them a bit of an apology because after the first leg, you know, I thought it was done. So they were wonderful last night. I thought Neil Harris got his team spot on. Volks him for the long throw. Ward uh, to start a bit of a press, be aggressive at the front of the pitch and then introduce Tomlin um, a little bit later with Mendes Lang. I thought his tactics were, were pretty good. They just switched off after scoring that first goal. They just had to consolidate, get back in their shape. And if you watch the goal again, you can see Cardiff players going hunting, trying to win it high off Fulham and brilliant bit of football ends up in Cabano getting the goal. So Neil Harris spot on again with his comments that the goals, the timing of the goals across the two legs just killed Cardiff, took the wind out of their sails. But for, for Fulham, great in the first leg, fantastic away performance. And last night, Got a bit of luck, but great resilience to get themselves through. Resilience, Adrian, but 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 also Sans Mitro. That that makes it even more of a notable achievement to do it without the the league's top goal scorer in the second leg. Yeah, it was um, it was a shame he wasn't involved, but but they handled it well. And and yeah, I think Bobby Reed. I mean, he's Dakova Reed, I should say these days. Um, he worked hard. He, he gives that front three a little bit more flexibility, doesn't he? Because Players can pop up in different areas, but but now in, in in general, I thought I thought the the match in Wales, 
was was one of the best uh, performances I've seen from Fulham this season. There was a definite improvement. I loved the way they squeezed the life out of Fulham in the second half. They basically just went 10, 15 yards higher up the pitch and they couldn't get out of their own half. It was different in the second match. Cardiff, as Sam has outlined, uh, they just went more aggressive in everything that they did. I thought, again, it goes back to Cardiff. I think one of Cardiff's big strengths this season is their strength in depth. We talked about it on previous pods and, and that definitely came to fore in, in, in the semi-final second leg because he could leave out Mendes Lang and Tomlin and Patterson and Glatzel and, and then introduce them at the right times. And, and Sam's absolutely bang on. That would have been the perfect 2-0 win. And it, and it probably a deserved 2 0 win had they not switched off. And they just got carried away. They've just scored. They, 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 they went chasing the ball. The ball's played through the lines. And, and then you're looking at the right back as the ball comes in. Bakuna's looking over his shoulder. He's looking over his shoulder. He's uncomfortable. And this is a midfielder turned right back. And I think that that, that transition into the, new, into the new role for him might have cost him a little bit there. He was uncomfortable. Um, but but well played Cabano because he timed his run across him to to absolute per- perfection and and Cabano is the is the reason that they're in the final when you think about that goal and of course that the brilliant free kick so um, so yeah well, well played Fulham I've been critical of Parker but but I I did think that they they did pretty well over the 180 minutes or so. Yeah, and as for Cardiff, similar position to Swansea, I guess plenty of cause for optimism, uh, despite the obvious disappointment. Uh, in, in terms of the final, who are you backing then, Adrian? It, it seems to be that general perception is that, is that Brentford go into it as slight favourites. Yeah, I, th- I think Brentford are the, are the better team, personally. I, th- I feel that they have more penetration, certainly in, in, in forward areas. Although, when, when you think about Cabano's form and, and particularly Camera when he came on, I mean, wow, he was he was blistering down that left-hand side. I'm not a fan of Knockhart, I have to be honest. He's a player that sort of frustrates me. Yeah, he, he wouldn't get near the Brentford team, in, in my opinion. Um, no, I'm, I'm looking at it and, and seeing that, that Brentford will, will have a bit more... I don't know what the word is here. I, th- I think that, that they've got more drive and dynamism from back to front. And, I'm, and I look at, at their back four and I think they're, they're solid enough to cope with Fulham. Um, but it'd be a fascinating game, really will. I mean, some great duels. Norgard against Onoma is, is a real, really interesting one. I think Onoma has the potential to destroy anyone in that position because of his skill and his attributes. The goal he scored in that first leg was, it was sensational, wasn't it? But in the second leg, I, th- I thought he was quiet. He was, he was a little bit withdrawn. And, and it depends what, what Onoma turns up at, at Wembley. But, but yeah, for, for me, Brentford are, are the better team. And I think that they're more comfortable in their manager's style than Fulham, who um, yeah, who, who are a good possession side, but I, I don't know if they've got those same gear changes as the Bees. Sam Brentford won both league meetings between the two in the regular season, including at Fulham in the first game post restart. Does that factor at all into into players and managers thinking? Yeah, I think so. Um, Scott Parker referred to it last night. The defeat at Griffin Park could have been three twenty-one shots. Brentford had on that day uh, XG of 2.59 for the XG fans to Fulham's 0.71 so they were handsomely beaten a lot tighter the game at uh, Craven Cottage we covered that one it was just a little bit more creativity in the final third that that won the day there when 
You know, uh, Fulham were looking a bit predictable at that stage. I think a point worth raising, uh, again, I wouldn't read so much into it, but nine players remain from the Fulham team that went up a couple of seasons ago that played in this game. Uh, Mm. Ten, if you include Josh Onema, who was playing for Aston Villa on the day. So they got the experience of the occasion. Um, I felt the inexperience of Brentford going into it was a concern. But, you know, obviously they alleviated a lot of my my worries with that performance the other night. But, yeah, I'd make Brentford slight favourites uh, despite all that. Um, and I yeah, completely agree with agents and brilliant one-on-one battles to look forward to. Watkins against Hector. Um, Hector's obviously in that side to kind of sweep up behind Ream who goes and attacks things. So you'd like to think that that would be difficult for Watkins to get in behind. Mitrovic against Janssen. Janssen's had the... Uh, uh, he's outbattled him in the two games so far he's been very quiet Mitrovic so that's one to look at and I'd look at that left-hand side of Fulham as well uh, whether it's Cabano or Kamara coming up against Dalsgaard who is very good on the ball but lacks a little bit of mobility so that's another avenue but I'd be worried about Fulham's injuries you know if Mitrovic and Cabano don't recover they just looked a little bit leggy lacking a little bit in ideas as Cardiff chased that game last night and Brentford are obviously coming off the pitch full of beans. So for that reason, I will go for the Bees to just edge it. It's interesting to, to think about how they might look to handle Ben Rama as well, who could have scored so many goals, couldn't he, across the semi-finals. He, the, the way that he gets himself into the positions to, to, to shoot a goal is, is fantastic to watch, isn't it? What, what do they do? Because Ben Rama doesn't really stick to the left-hand side. I thought he was more disciplined in the, in the second leg. He's virtually as a, as a number 10, wasn't he, in the, in the match in Wales. And that will put him in, in the region where Harrison Reid has been so so dominant. So that's another duel, potentially, if Ben Rama takes up central positions, can Harrison Reid step in front and nullify him? I, I think that that's, yeah, the way Adrian, that they look a, after him. A great point. Um, yeah, he played as a false nine in, uh, in Swansea. And... I was trying to think back to what Fulham did with, with Grealish. I think Grealish was playing on that day a couple of years ago. I would sacrifice Harrison Reed maybe and put him on Ben Rama. I think that's I think that would be a fantastic idea just to nullify him and, and hope that you've got enough elsewhere to to deal with the likes of uh, Waymo and, and Watkins and obviously whoever plays in midfield. But I mean to just wipe out his threat, you know, you'd you'd like to think that Fulham would have a much better chance of winning the game. Well, the final goes down at Wembley on Tuesday night, 7.45 UK time. We will, of course, react to it in next week's show. Uh, Producer Abby's here with the odds for the aforementioned playoff final, courtesy of William Hill. Uh, Are they thinking along the same lines as us, Abby, that Brentford are favourites? Well, Matt, as far as William Hill are concerned, it's a done deal. Brentford are going up four to seven. And Fulham, if you want to put a bit on them, that's 13 to 10 for them to be promoted. Uh, if we go to the match odds themselves, I know that Sam's saying that it's close between the teams. But again, it's uh, 11 to 10 for Brentford to win and 14 to five for Fulham to win. But in fact, William Hill think that a draw is more likely than Fulham winning. A draw is 11 to five. So uh, as far as William Hill's concerned, it's all done and dusted. Thanks, Abby. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. 
Right, time now for our weekly mid-show breather. It comes to you in the form of a quiz undertaken by our two ex-pros on their illustrious careers. This week it's called Sam Parkin and Adrian Clark answer a question each on their respective careers. Uh, Clarky, you go first this week. Here's your question. <laughs> Hang on, I, I just need to pull you up. I, I don't think you can label my career as an illustrious one. Just, 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 just me, want to mate. put Nor that me. one out there. <laughs> 2003 was illustrious. I, I would probably preface my career with too short. Um, too short a career is, is probably the shout, yeah. Or, or patchy was the other word I was going to go for. But... No, it was never patchy. <laughs> Here's your question, Adrian. According to Soccer Base, the first of the 13 goals you scored for Stevenage was against a keeper who's won the European Cup. Name that keeper. <laughs> really? Yes. Ah, ah, is it? Was it against Forest Green? And it was. was it? Was it? It wasn't Nigel Spink, was it? I mean, surely he was Is that too your old. guess? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go for that, yeah. It was Nigel Spink. <laughs> I was surprised at that as well. Oh, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I really am old, aren't I? Blimey. Yeah, but you're right. You got your question right, and that's the main thing. Um, Sam, let's see if you can uh, get it back to level pegging. You and championship-bound striker Troy Deeney played up front together for Walsall back in the day, uh, the day in question being the 15th of August 2009. You pair helped the Saddlers to a 2-2 draw against Southend. I want to know which former Nottingham Forest manager put Southend 2-1 up on 80 minutes, only for the boy Parking to level matters in stoppage time. You want a Forest player who was playing a for Southend? former Forest manager. Forest manager who put Southend 2-1 up in the 80th minute of the match. Nothing. Um, I'm going to say Dougie Friedman, but I don't think... You are absolutely right. Oh, (laughs) a stab in the dark. (laughs) Sensational stuff this week. Okay, some other headlines that have happened since last we spoke. It's uh, all Big Boss news, which requires some Big Boss music. The EFL have named its Managers of the Year, Marcelo Bielsa for the Championship, Natch, Mark Robbins scooping the League One prize and Dave Artel getting the gong in League Two. Paul Cook has slash is poised to step down as Wigan manager. Their appeal against the points deduction that sent them down being heard as we record. Aitor Karanka set to come in as Pep Clotet's successor at Birmingham. Carlos Corberan has gone to Huddersfield as expected. Gerhard Struber, remember his tears about his Barnsley boys? Well, he's now favourite for the Watford job. Uh, There's been an appointment in League Two after John McGreal was sacked by Colchester. Steve Ball is in. Neil Warnock will reach his 1500th game as manager as he stays at Middlesbrough for the season. And speaking of managers staying put, the Athletic report that we'll be seeing more of stylish Sabri Lamushi. He's got six weeks to work out a plan B and keep his job at the two-time European champions. Let's have a, a brief chat about some of those then. Adrian, Paul Cook to Bristol City seems to be doing the rounds lately. The Chris Hewton thing's gone a bit quiet. Would that be a good move for all concerned? I think so, yeah. If I was a Bristol City fan, I'd be pleased with that. He brings great energy, doesn't he, Paul Cook? We know he's a, he's one of the big characters in the EFL um, and his record is is excellent, you have to say. I, I feel it's it's really sad that he's had to resign from his post at Wigan. Obviously, he didn't have to resign, but but I feel that that was the, probably the, the most natural course of action. Um, so so I feel for Wigan on, on another level. But yeah, Bristol City, he would surely leap to, to podium contention, top three contention, and it boils down to which way they want to go. But, but Wigan play fast. 
attacking football, don't they? And, and, he, and he's improved their defence no end as well during the second half of this season. So, so he ticks a lot of boxes, Paul Kirk, and uh, yeah, I think he can be a success there. Uh, Sam, it's not done yet, but I talk Aranka to Birmingham surprised me. Is that, is that the correct emotion for me to be feeling? Um, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, it's maybe a bit split at Forest, but I think he left Middlesbrough with his head held high and I think it's obvious that his style would immediately improve Birmingham defensively, um, that that's what he does. Remember the season Middlesbrough got promoted. I think they conceded eight goals at home, um, 31 goals across the piece, which is incredible considering Birmingham conceded 75 this season. So that that's what he gives you straight away, although he'll have some supporters who won't be too enamoured with his style because they don't get too many going the other way. But he's obviously a very good coach, obviously uh, started off with Mourinho, didn't he? Um, and certainly inherited some of his his traits. So it'll be about looking at the squad, wouldn't it? And I've, I've seen that they're going to be given a war chest, which I always enjoy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they're going to roll the dice again. But 16 months out of the game, there's no guarantee that he'll hit the ground running. But I think at championship level, he's a, he's a good coach and got a pretty good track record with making intelligent signings as well. So yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised if that one's a goer. What about Sabri Lamushi, Adrian? We we said last week that they ought to give him another chance, but it, it doesn't sound like it's been a ringing endorsement of him by the uh, the higher ups at Forest. So he might be on a, a fairly short leash. Well, it's raw, isn't it? At the moment, the pain is still is still there. So I don't think they're going yes. to gush in. Yes, it is. It, it, yes. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to laugh um, <laughs> so naturally there. Um, the I was a bit aggressive actually, wasn't it? Um, Lamushi <laughs> is a good manager. Over the course of the season, I think he proved that. Um, but he has to learn from from the mistakes that he made. He can't afford to take teams at the bottom of the table lightly. There's no doubt that he did do that with, in terms of his team selection. He must insist that he's given at least two backups to Lewis Grab, and one's not enough, really. So, so that's important. And and yes, a plan B maybe in terms of the style. They're very very reliant, Forest, aren't they, on on sort of keeping their compact shape and then being efficient in uh, in the way that they go and win games. Most of their victories came when they had very little of the ball. I think it's important that he, he, he makes the team a bit more comfortable in possession because against those those bottom half sides, they they are likely to have more of the ball on occasion and they have to have to have have a way of breaking those sides down. Plenty of managers on the move in the EFL and players too. Transfer market open for business. Uh, Adrian, which ones have, have caught your eye of the, the movers and shakers so far? Well, there's been quite a lot of business, really. I, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised in one breath because because the season's not that far away. But, but everyone's supposed to be so short of money, aren't they? But the, the number of fees have been paid out, which... Has, has kind of caught caught me off guard. Blackpool stand out actually in in League One. Mm. They've, they, <laughs> well, they, they, they've raided Swindon. I mean, Swindon got any players left? I mean, they've just been promoted. What on earth's going on there? Jerry Yates. I know he didn't belong to to Swindon, but he's he's been snapped up from Rotherham. As has Keshi Anderson from Swindon. So so they're two good. Two good uh, recruits. Oliver Sarkic from Burton is, is decent. And CJ Hamilton from Mansfield. CJ wasn't so good last year, but the, the, the previous campaign, he caught my eye. Very dynamic, quick player down the left-hand side. So, so Blackpool and, and Neil Critchley 
definitely going for it. You're a bit worried about Swindon, Stan? No, not not at all. Obviously disappointed to lose the, the two lads, but um, yeah, it comes down to finances probably, doesn't it? But, you know, Swindon have got Jaisimi over the line, who who was brilliant. Zeki Fryers has signed on. I think Anthony Grant is either done or hopefully going to be done. Three big players for him last year. So, no, I've got no concerns that Swindon, you can uh, play this back to me in uh, nine months' time, <laughs> will at least consolidate, I-, I think, in League One, no problem at all. And, and hopefully, you know, better than that. But yeah, good two good signings for, for Blackpool. I'm going to dip into League Two. Um, Forest Green Rovers, I think brilliant early business. Jordan Moore-Taylor, defender I played with at Exeter. Very good signing there. If he can stay clear of injuries, um, he would be fantastic for them. And Jamil Matt, I think, is a a great bit of business. Although, does he fit into the Forest Green style? You, you'd probably say no looking at last season, but then Christian Deutsch had such a wonderful time uh, there as an old-fashioned number nine. So it's definitely a, a plan B, maybe. And uh, Dan Sweeney as well from Barnet, who has taken a while to get his move because I remember him playing in League Two a couple of years ago, centre-half stroke, central midfield player, very impressive, aggressive, can handle the ball, good size, uh, you know, all the good attributes uh, to, to, to be successful in League Two. So I think they've done some fantastic business. The, the other ones I wanted to mention was just quite a few departures at Northampton that I was surprised about. Having seen the final... Jordan Turnbull allowed to leave. I'm not sure, you know, what that's down to. And and McCormack as well, who both of them I thought were outstanding at Wembley. Turnbull signed for Salford, obviously going to be back in League Two. I'm not sure if McCormack's been sorted out yet, but I just thought that, you know, odd decisions, obviously, you know, it's probably down to finances, um, contracts, bodies, you know, whatever it is at at Sixfields. But I just felt it was a, a shame for those two having got their promotion to League One. Adrian Salford have been busy. Uh, Ian Henderson, Tom Clark, Ash Hunter, Jason Lowe and Jordan Turnbull all coming in. We've had a, a tweet come in from India at the Totally Shows the Handle if you want to get in touch with us. Anshuman Joshi has. He asks, what are Salford's chances of going up next season? Probably pretty high, aren't they? Yeah, I think they'll start as one of the favourites this season. Last year, when they came up from the National League, they were installed, I think, in the top three and myself and Sam kind of laughed at that a little bit. I just thought it was too big a jump for them. But what they did during the course of that campaign, and it was a, it was a, it was a decent return, well, not return, decent start to life as an EFL club. What they did was bring in a lot of experience from the EFL, but in particular, they, they brought in League One level players and that certainly helped them and it raised standards towards the end of the campaign. And when you look at the list there of, of the players brought in, Clark Hunter, Low Turnbull and Henderson, these these are guys that, that have been around the block and they and they know what it takes um, at League One or League Two level. So yeah, I, I, I like what they're doing there. I, I really admire the manager. I think he, he's one of the best around. So yeah, Salford this season will probably be in my picks for, for top three. I guess I'm one of the the few League Two clubs who who don't need to worry maybe that much about the effects of the the pandemic and behind closed doors games and and lost revenue and all that kind of thing. There they are moneyed. Yeah, and I think that uh, it will be a failure to not get into the at least the playoffs next year. I think that they would have been hopeful it would have happened in their first campaign, but. I thought they were quite a long way short in the first six months of the season. I think they started 
um, by trying to play nice football through the thirds and then they reverted to what got them success towards their time in uh, the tail end of their time in the National League so I think Graham Alexander will have to have a think I'm sure he is thinking and going through the, the pre-season programme and, and getting a, a style that suits these new recruits but yeah I expect them to be to be really strong and, and, and as you say they have the financial clout not to everyone's tastes but you have to pick the right players and as I've had alluded, alluded to Jordan Turnbull was exceptional in League Two for Northampton. He was brilliant in League One for Swindon. Bit of a head scratcher uh, for me that one. Ian Henderson I played with as well. Um, brilliant athlete first and foremost. Looks after himself incredibly well. Thirty five now, but he will score goals no problem in in the bottom tier. And the other guys you mentioned as well have got high calibre. So they go into the season with a really strong squad and and have to be. Uh, surely in our in our picks for automatic promotion. A couple of other transfers that caught my eye. Wes Houlihan walking the well-trodden path between Newcastle Jets and Cambridge United and uh, Conor McGrandles on a free from MK to Lincoln. Just, just gives me an excuse to say the name Conor McGrandles. Uh, final piece of EFL-related news. The English Football League's appeal against Macclesfield's two-point deduction will be heard on August the 11th, which leaves Stevenage and Macclesfield in limbo about where they're going to be next season. Right, just about time for us to say cheerio. Before we do, though, in honour of Nathan's appearance on the show, let's have the funniest teammates you played with, please, chaps. Adrian, you can go first. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, never, it never sounds funny when you tell any sto- funny stories, does it? But <laughs> I, I think uh, um, at Arsenal, we were blessed with a, a lot of really, really big characters. Um, Jimmy Carter is, is, a, is a very good lad. I don't know if you've ever come across Jimmy in your time but yeah he was he was funny Ian Wright is is as you see on the telly he he, he can um he has highs and lows but but when he's on fire right he right he was incredibly funny at South End at South End United there's a lad called John Nielsen from, from Denmark he looked like Robin Williams he just looked like him he's just got the same sort of face and um he, he was just yeah he, he was he was really um really dry and hilarious and Paul Byrne is the other one that stands out Irishman used to play for Celtic and uh, he was at the front of of Southend United's legendary drinking culture I have to say I just I looked him up before we came on air because I was wondering what he's up to and he's doing a radio show in in Ireland at the moment doesn't surprise me because he could talk for fun and 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 he was he recently done an interview during lockdown with the Southend paper and surprise surprise that a large portion of that interview was referring to said drinking culture so yeah he he, he was um, he was a good lad uh, Sam I, I mark you down as the class clown of team totally was that the same when you were making your way around the EFL as well nah not really not really um no, there was a clown in every dressing room. I oh, just little one-liners that went down uh, not particularly well normally. So um, <laughs> I'll give you a couple of, well, EFL glitterati. Kevin Horlock at Ipswich, brilliant. Um, Danny Butterfield, uh, my last year at Exeter, just just a, a genius and, and great for the dressing room, I think. Um, Neil Warnock would probably concur there. I think he was... Uh, the, the, the class clown in, in his Crystal Palace team. But the name that stands out above all others is uh, John Potter, who I played with in Scotland, who is part of Jack Ross's backroom team. Uh, was at Sunderland, now at Hibs. This guy was just, he just used to do stand-up during the warm-up. It was sensational, very down-to-earth, you know, not bothered about clothes, cars, not his style. Never saw him out of a tracksuit. And when I was leaving Scotland, 
I took in, um, going to Exeter the following year, I took in about four big bin bags of all my clothes because I was obviously going to be travelling back to London in, in the car and had various bits of furniture and stuff to take back down with me. John took all of it, like literally all of it. And um, considering I'd never seen him out of a tracksuit, he came in the next day and he went, oh, I was bowling around Dunfermline yesterday in a leather jacket, skinny jeans. <laughs> People were like double taking. I mean, you have to know him really to get the the full enjoyment out of the story. But this guy was just a genius. He just took all of it, popped it in his motor and that was him for the, the rest of the time I was up there just decked out in my clobber. Very good. Right, we'll be back on Wednesday next week for our final show of this season, looking back on all that playoff final goodness. Until then, from Sam, from Adrian, from Abby, and from me, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta, and be sure to check out our website, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.